Welcome to Common Ground, a podcast series discussing new research and interesting projects in the field of complementary medicine. Hello, my name is Jackie Fay, Head of Education at Vitaly. Vitaly is a digital platform, a professional health resource and a distribution service all in one. Firstly, I'd like to begin by acknowledging the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the traditional custodians on the land on which we gather here. I would also like to pay my respect to their elders, both past and present. The ocean covers 71% of the Earth's surface and is crucial for environmental and human health. According to the 2020 SOFIA report, the world's appetite for fish and fish products shows no sign of slowing. The fisheries and aquaculture also known as aquafarming sector, has significantly expanded since 1990 to 2018, where there was a 527% rise in global aquafarming production and 122% rise in the total food fish consumption. Aquafarming is the farming of fish, crustaceans, mollusks, aquatic plants, algae and other organisms. It involves cultivating freshwater and saltwater populations under controlled conditions and can be contrasted with commercial fishing, which is the harvesting of wild fish. Fish oil is the key ingredient in the growth of the aquafarming industry across the globe. Fish oil is derived from the tissues of oily fish that contain omega-3 fatty acids, such as EPA, ecosopentanoic acids, and DHA, hexanoic acids. Omega-3 fatty acids are largely used in the segments of aquafarming, animal nutrition and pet feed supplements and functional foods, as well as in infant formulas and pharmaceuticals. In humans, omega-3 fatty acids provide benefits to human health, especially for metabolic functions such as cardiovascular health, inflammatory and immune responses, and they also play a key role in the proper functioning of the nervous system. The growing awareness among the medical professions and public about importance of omega-3 fatty acids has led to a significant increase in fish oil consumption. The production of omega-3 lipids from fish sources does have some drawbacks, such as complex purification procedures, unwanted contamination by environmental pollutants such as dioxins, methylmercury and microplastics along with radiation concerns and reduction or even extinction of certain species of fish and aspects related to sustainability. Australia's Therapeutic Goods Administration, TGA, sets minimum standards for public consumption of heavy metals. However, recent research shows that even the minimum standards are not always being met, plus Australia does not have compulsory testing for radiation isotopes, so there is even more reason to know about our sources of fish and fish products. In this podcast today, we should be clarifying where the industry is at and some tips to keep in mind when purchasing fish and or fish oil products. Over 55 years ago, the Australian Marine Conservation Society, AMCS, was formed by a community of scientists and Australian ocean conservationists who came together to take action to protect our marine life. AMCS is an Australian environmental not-for-profit organisation. 
They have protected critical ocean ecosystems with marine reserves around the nation, including the Great Barrier Reef. They have led the movement to ban whaling, stopped super trawlers and protected threatened and endangered species like the Australian sea lion. Their first major campaign commenced in the mid-1960s when they legally contested and successfully defeated an application to mine coral on the Great Barrier Reef. This victory was followed by Australia's largest sea-based campaign, which culminated in the formation of the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park World Heritage Area, an international tourist destination and one of the natural wonders of the world. Since this great endeavour, AMCS has continued to secure the protection of habitats and species throughout Australia's oceans. Joining us today on Common Ground is Adrian Meader, Sustainable Seafood Program Manager from AMCS. Welcome, Adrian, to Common Ground. Thanks, Jackie. Great to be here. So, Adrian, could you tell us a little about the history of the Australian Marine Conservation Society and what the organisation does? Yeah, sure. Uh, just before I start, I'd just like to acknowledge uh, the Wadandi clan of the Noongar people um, for th- on whose land I'm uh, speaking to you today. Uh, and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land, and I'd like to acknowledge uh, Elders past, present and future. Um, Australian Marine Conservation Society, as you said in, in, in your lovely introduction, um, we originally formed as a, as a bunch of scientists who got together some 50 or more years ago um, when there was a proposal to actually mine the Great Barrier Reef uh, for, for limestone. Uh, they put a stop to that and then not so long after uh, there was a, a brilliant proposal to drill the Great Barrier Reef for oil. And um, uh, it became pretty clear that... Uh, uh, we needed an organisation devoted to the conservation of Australia's oceans mm. and, and that's where we went to from there. Um, the sort of work we do nowadays, um, the Great Barrier Reef still remains very important to us and it's become something of a battleground to uh, move Australia um, further on managing what is now the greatest threat to it, which is the impacts of climate change. Mm. Um, but we also work in the areas of, of water quality and pollution, um, marine plastic pollution, uh, and securing better marine park protection around Australia uh, and the Antarctic. And uh, and my little corner of the organisation, which is working to ensure that uh, the, f- the fisheries in our oceans are managed uh, sustainably and with the future and the environment in mind. And how did you, Adrian, get involved with the society? Uh, well, look, I've always... Uh, the ocean's been pretty central to me. I grew up on a little island with uh, pretty much everything I could do in my spare time was, was in the ocean. It's given a lot to me and it's been pretty central to, to my health and well-being. Um, so when the opportunity came to um, get involved, first as a volunteer and now professionally, um, I saw it as a great opportunity to, to try and give something back for all of that. And it's been, it's been a deeply challenging and, and very rewarding um, journey. And, and so what is the general state of fisheries in Australia at the moment? 
Well, this is a great question because so Australia does pretty well, um, but it's a relative, relative terms, relative to much of the rest of the world. We do really well. But in terms of managing fisheries internationally, that environmental bar is set dangerously, dangerously low. So while Australia does pretty well, um, we now have marine protected areas like national parks in the sea right through our exclusive economic zone and we're expanding those further at the moment. Um, Many of our fish stocks have been rebuilt from some of the overfishing of the past, but look, there are still species being pushed to extinction by fishing in Australia. We're still destroying coral habitats with fishing gear um, and we're still uh, overfishing and overusing our resources and polluting our waters with fish farms. So there continues to be a whole lot of work to be done. So it sounds like it's quite it can be quite difficult to enforce and, and perhaps police the standards. Is, is there like a, a review that's done on an annual basis or how, how is it managed? Uh, so we uh, have sort of taken that uh, upon ourselves. Um, 15 or 16 years ago, we started producing a sustainable seafood guide for Australians because consumers weren't able to get this information um, from the um, government reports and the fishery information that was out there. It was difficult to digest and and didn't cover off on the key areas of sustainability. Mm. So there was a really need real need to do that and so that's that's essentially my job at the moment is to produce um, assess all the, f- the fisheries in Australia and internationally that form most of the seafood in the Australian marketplace and run a, a very high bar environmental ruler um, over all of those things. Mm. Uh, the good news is that about a third of the seafood options in our guide are on our green list, which is pretty good. More than that are on our red list. But, you know, we're setting a a very high standard. Australians wouldn't think so, perhaps, because Australians demand a very high standard. But uh, if you're on the green list in our Good Fish Seafood Guide, uh, then we can be very confident that, that that seafood isn't hurting any uh, population of protected species. It isn't damaging any vulnerable um, habitats, and it comes from a fish stock that has been managed um, carefully with, with enough fish in the water to be resilient to any uh, overfishing or, or environmental shocks that, that, that might happen. So we can be pretty comfortable that mm. in as much as choosing to eat seafood goes at all, you can you can choose seafood with a really light touch on our oceans. Mm. We'll be touching um, on that a little later in our podcast regards when we're in a restaurant, say, or at the Fishmonger. But just wanted to um, just quickly ask you, um, you mentioned the Sustainable Seafood Program Guide. How, how would one access that? Uh, you can find that uh, online at goodfish.org.au or better yet, uh, you can download the um, Good Fish Sustainable Seafood Guide app. 
um, for your phone. So that's a handy resource to have at mm, home. Yeah, Absolutely. Good tip. Um, there is some confusion you mentioned just earlier, fish farming, um, around the practices of fish farming. Some concerns that the fish are, say, fed antibiotics due to lice problems, that they're extremely stressed. Um, some have likened um, to a worse life than battery hens. Is, is fish farming all it's cracked up to be? I mean, could you help clarify um, some of these concerns? So this is a complex area, but many of those concerns are very real. I mean, um, often seafood from fish farms is marketed as something you know, very uh, sustainable mm. and environmentally minded, but it is essentially um, industrial farming. And like any industrial farming, um, battery hen chicken farming is a great example. Mm. That can be done absolutely terribly and, and it can be done in a manner that is is acceptable. Um, so there are some advantages to, to fish farming and that, you know, fishing is unusual and that it's, uh, you know, catching fish from the wild is essentially hunting and um, often comes with um, some inefficiency and some um, damage to, to habitats and so on that can be avoided. But on the other hand, with fish farming, um, you have concerns over what the fish are fed um, it can be quite polluting. Mm. And because you have all those fish um, corralled in close proximity, you're going to have more challenges with diseases and so on. And and that can lead to misuse of things like um, antibiotics and so on. Um, so there's some, there's some serious issues. And um, there's also some mistreatment of, of wildlife can go on. So we've heard a lot in the Australian uh, Atlantic salmon farming industry that um, uh, seals in particular have been subject to some pretty uh, horrendous treatment as a means of keeping them away from farming operations and, and out of the sea cages mm. where, where the fish are farmed. So a whole lot of challenges there. Mm. Look, but, but as I say, it's a spectrum. Um, and on the other hand, if you were to look at um, things like farmed shellfish, yes. uh, mussels and oysters, um, you're looking at a fish farming method which, which uses no additional wild fish for feed at all. They're, they're fed on the naturally occurring plankton. Yeah. Um, the fish farms don't produce significant amounts of pollution. They very efficiently convert, essentially, sunlight gets turned into, into tiny oceanic plants called phytoplankton, and then the shellfish feed directly on that. So it's a very efficient way of turning sunshine into protein and those fish farms can even provide uh, habitat in the, in the places where they're found mm. and and because those farms are so dependent on really good water quality the fish farmers themselves have actually become really strong stewards of managing all the other pollution issues in the surrounding waters and can be really champions for 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 cleaner uh, water so as I say, there's that there's that full spectrum of, of really sustainable through to really questionable to fairly abhorrent practices in, in our fish farming industries. So if we were to purchase um, fish that we, we ask the question, say when we are in a restaurant or at the fishmonger and we inquire what location it's from, 
uh, whether that be from Australia or internationally. And if they do mention perhaps one of the fish farms, say, in Tasmania, um, what, how would we know that that um, is best practice for looking after the fish and sustainable practices? How would one check that? That's where our seafood guide um, right. comes in really handy. Okay. But, you know, this is challenging because it's a difficult question. Mm. Seafood is one of the most internationally traded commodities anywhere. It passes through a lot of hands often between, between your plate and the ocean. And um, some of those questions can be difficult to answer. But the act of answering the question, the fact that Australians do ask these questions is essentially it's the basis for why Australia's fisheries are managed relatively well because consumers demand it be so. And so by empowering yourself to just ask these questions, you know, where is this from? Um, how was it caught? You know, was it caught in a, in a trawl net or was it caught um, on a line which doesn't um, impact the seabed, for example? Right. Um, as you ask these questions, you may not get the answers, but the act of doing so is going to drive change, and we know it does, and, uh, and that, that's why our program is so focused on um, consumers uh, and on the chef partners we work with because the market is so important, um, and that, that gives us power, which is great. Oh, that is. Thank you. Um, that's very good to know. So in our complementary medicine uh, profession, small cold water fish are often used as the premium to suggest to eat as well as you know, for a part of a healthy diet and lifestyle and to also um, look out for in a fish oil supplement. What are your, your thoughts about this? Are the small cold water fish the, the optimum to, to seek out? Yes, well, I'm, I mentioned um, the shellfish farming and how efficiently they convert um, essentially sunlight into into omega-3s, into, into edible protein. Uh, and uh, that's, that's the, the small cold water fish uh, are the most efficient source of that. And they, they concentrate those fish oils because those fish oils are actually formed in, in those tiny microscopic plants. Um, and, and that's the diet of those fish. So, yes, um, uh, for that efficiency reason. Um, also, um, in many of the fisheries that catch those fish are quite uh, efficient from, from a whole range of points of views, but one of them is that they have relatively low levels of uh, bycatch of species that are in trouble. You know, we need to be very careful in that area, but mm. it is a relatively efficient way to catch and gather that um, that fish oil. Um, and those fish are also tend to be pretty short-lived. And a lot of the pollutants um, in the ocean uh, bioaccumulate, which means... Uh, let's say you're a swordfish or a tuna at the top of the food chain or a shark in particular, and you eat fish that eat those little fish. And at each step of the food chain, uh, the, the very tiny levels of pollutants, which are you know right through our ocean, 
are in those fish and they build up and concentrate so that by the time you get to being a large fish, often the recommendation is that we don't eat those large fish very often Mm -hmm. and that's for good reason. Whereas with those smaller fish, they just don't have that concentration. So so that makes them a good source for fish oils as well. Mm. And with regards to fish oil supplements, um, there are different certifications. So what should we be looking out for? I mean, we hear independent testing is important. Do you need to be a signatory to all the various certifications or are there ones that we best look out for on the label? Now, this is a tough question. And look, I wish there was a really easy answer because uh, my program works with the certifications a lot and even say that the most generally highly regarded one, which is the Marine Stewardship Council certification. We have seafood with that certification on our green list is very sustainable and also on our red list because uh, those fisheries have the certification but still um, have very serious uh, environmental issues of one sort or another. So, so that's a real challenge is that it would be so good to just have absolute confidence in some or all of these certifications. But I guess it's my job to to look through that and interrogate that a little further. Mm. They're almost always beneficial, um, but the scale of the challenges facing our oceans mm. is such that even with these certifications, there, there can still be problems. Um, but certainly um, with some of these certifications, so, so some benefits of the Marine Stewardship Council's one, is that they ensure that because those small cold water fish are such an important part of their ecosystem, so their ecological role is essentially to be food for uh, for whales, for dolphins, sharks and seabirds, um, all kinds of wildlife. So it's really important that if we're going to catch those fish, we need to leave enough of them in the water so that we're not taking away this really important food source for, that the rest of the ecosystem depends on. Mm. And so um, certainly it's a requirement of the Marine Stewardship Council certification and some of the others that um, uh, a much smaller fraction of those fish can be taken out for use in fish oil, say, than... Um, we would allow for for other species who um you know every species is important to the to the ecosystem but but these species are often absolutely key to it so so there are some benefits there so the certifications um by sounds of course are important but it, it's something that um perhaps we need to check in with would you say with um the various certifications and or say the AMCS yeah that's that's right and i mean it's it's essentially my job and, and it's the uh, the cross I have to bear is that, um, you know, I, I need to look at, at these certifications and run the ruler over them as well. Mm. And, you know, at, at present there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach, yeah. but certainly um, there's generally some good things 
that they are achieving and it just falls on me and our Good Fish program to interrogate those a little more deeply. What I would say is that some of those standards address an area in which my program doesn't, which is so we focus entirely on environmental conservation, but there are other elements to sustainability, some social issues, for example, and our global fishing fleets are rife with human rights abuses, Mm. for example, uh, and and fraudulent um, fish selling practices and mistreatment of workers. And some of those certifications actually run a strong ruler over those matters as well. And that's important to consider too. Yes. So um, credit has to be given for the progress they're making in those areas. Yes, absolutely. And this by sounds across the, the various certifications, a holistic approach is perhaps what's occurring from human rights <laughs> issues to sustainable practices. Yes, and look, we'd certainly be addressing those issues too, you know, if, if our resources were limitless and, and we're just, you know, unfortunately constrained by by our capacity to do so. Um, mm. And and so we we stick to our knitting, you know, we're environmental experts and so, so that's our job one. But, um, yeah, th- those are very, certainly very important aspects as well. Hello, listeners. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. Part two of this interview will air in our next episode where we cover further vital topics such as ocean acidification, krill oil, what alternatives to ask for in your local fish and chip shop. We also clarify what wild caught fish is, then on to microplastics, heavy metals and discussing cleaning up the ocean. And finally, we share some of the rays of light that are on the horizon. Please subscribe to Common Ground. We really do appreciate your support and feel free to leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Catch you next episode.